0: I'd put you in my pocket Push the button through the hole to lock it Hold on to you, you're like a treasure Walk across my hand, it'd be a pleasure You could come with me You could come with me
1: This is Delelist of History, a podcast about interesting people you probably didn't learn about in school. I am Fega, and I am your American history person. I'm bad at this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we're, we're, I think, every time we should just reinvent ourselves a little bit. Well, that that's the
1: goal, but like, I am not yes ending very well. <laughs> <laughs> what? Okay.
0: Hello, I'm Isabella, and I am. An avid learner of American history, but not an expert by any means of the imagination.
1: I mean, I don't know if I'm an expert either, but I'd I would just call, I would call you an
0: expert. <laughs> I would say you are very much an expert, and Fega is an expert of u s American history.
1: I, I mean, I think there's some actual experts that I would take
0: <laughs> I would, you I have read, a good I have a good broad knowledge. You know what? I think you read more books on average than. About American history well, than ninety nine percent of the American population. Well, okay, if
1: you're talking about the the general American population, <laughs> well then, but
0: what? I mean, what that? I mean, like that makes you an like, expert. Sure,
1: I think I, you're I just, up there.
0: I think you're up there. You know a lot. You I know mostly, a lot.
1: I mostly read nonfiction, not because I don't like fiction, but because I have toxic puritanical <laughs> cultural ideas about the use
0: of my time. <laughs> Ooh. That that one, I feel like you just you just read me a little bit. Yeah. 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 I did bring my workbooks to read tomorrow on Shabbos. Yo. One day I'll have to probably look inside myself and have a stern talk with myself about that. But I just um tea on myself. Oh no.
1: Which goes into what we thought we should talk about at the beginning of this, which has nothing to do with the person we're talking about today, but I don't care.
0: <laughs> you have some great mugs. And mugs. Ben also has some great mugs. And I wanna know. You've just you've mentioned to me that you are an avid mug collector, which yes. I think absolutely blends with everything else I know about you. Yeah, I need to get like a display thing.
1: Like yeah. I want to I want to get like hooks to put up on I have this like dead wall, so to speak, in my kitchen. and uh, I, mean, I want to get hooks to put things up because right now they're all just like shoved into oh my goodness, a cabinet. A mug wall. Yeah. There <gasps> that'd was be a, so cute. I there was a there was a breakfast place when I lived in Ohio that had a mug wall that I thought was really sweet.
0: Oh my goodness, that would be. I hope you do it.
1: But it's that same inclination of like, if I'm going to buy some merch or whatever, I want it to be something that's useful for sure. So I love it. What? So what's mods. your
0: favorite? What's your? Favorite I mean, mod? my
1: favorite was made by a friend of mine who I actually went to summer camp with. Um, it's people listening to this podcast going to think my only friends <laughs> are from summer camp, and they would not be wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but she can speak and write in many. Old timey languages Mm -hmm. like Latin. And (laughs) she tried to sell this mug that said Epstein didn't kill himself in Middle Egyptian, which (laughs) for those of us who are not knowledgeable about (laughs) Egypt's language history, the rest of us would call it hieroglyphs. Yeah. Um, Oh,
0: interesting. Love it. Okay. Yeah. So that's good to know for for my future i can sound more like an expert
1: i know right like <laughs> <laughs>
0: when you say middle egyptian people are like oh you know a thing i don't know no because uh, no, that sounds like that sounds like that guy on tiktok what's his name adam the adam ruins everything guy or a different adam uh the guy who just like speaks in really old languages oh gosh i don't know oh him the yeah. one who
1: like reads beowulf and stuff yeah he has the hair yeah uh sorry i car just turned on not that like we have Vroom. perfectly
0: like silent recording space
1: clearly not but we're
0: in South Philly this is a really noisy place yeah and there's really so little we could do about it without yeah. like I don't know I don't know think, of, I, it, think I, of it as part of the environment you know yeah, where we are as ambiance. people we're in we're in the in the ambiance of ambiance of South Philly today at least so mugs, I have.
1: That's my favorite.
0: That, yeah.
1: I also have one. My one of my um, hobbies is I shape note sing, which is a social singing tradition. Mm-hmm and it is a very old one that tends to involve a lot of religious music and when there's religious music that is old anti-semitism is a thing that
0: (laughs) comes up (laughs) and so there is a
1: a, a song that is in one of the books that people sing from a lot that includes the verse that we will protect the church from envious Jews (laughs) and so as a Hanukkah gift for for Ben Issa's partner and my very good friend from camp um (laughs) i made had mugs made Mm -hmm. that have the
0: music of that song on them and on the other side it says envious jew yeah so i am i'm fond of that that's a great one i was going to actually mention the envious jew mug but didn't know how to explain it and i'm really glad you uh you took that on (laughs) it's a really good mug it's a really good um
1: but to continue from the last episode which from our perspective happened 20 minutes ago exactly I have a Fundy Fridays mug that I'm very fond of as well. Yes. It's yes. the the one that the proceeds went to support abortion access. Oh, nice! And it's like making fun of like a TikTok from some I don't know fundamentalist guy who had the most unhinged Dunkin' Donuts order. <laughs> like I don't remember what it was, but it was like five creamers and
0: ten sugars. Like it was it's one of those you listen to it and you're like, is there coffee? Is there coffee? My sister went to a Dunkin' Donuts a few months ago and a guy ordered his coffee with 16 sugars. And I mean, live your life. Live your life. Live your life. I, no, I would but it's, not drink it. It's not, it's, I would not drink it. I think it, that's insane. But I'm, not all, I'm also not going to say, like, what a low life for putting 16 sugars in. No, that's this, just what he likes. Like, like people, I think one thing that we don't talk about enough. Yeah, no one's talking about this. But you know how there's a spicy scale? I think there's also like you know you get a certain you get used to a certain level of spice. Yeah. You know, if you live in different places lots of spices. There's also like a sweetness scale. Like Midwest sweet is a different oh. kind of sweet. Yes it is. <laughs> like they're they're doing something different they are drinking sweeter things on a daily basis and even even so that's like
1: within the United States but you talk to people from Europe and they come here and they're like what is wrong Mm -hmm. I remember when I went to Germany and I got a Fanta and Fanta had just been released in the United States obviously it was in Europe for ages and ages Yeah, now that song is in my head (laughs) sorry (laughs) I tried Fanta in Germany and I was disappointed because i was used to an american concoction that has a lot more sweetness to it yeah it's a different thing Um, so i brought up the funny fridays mug not just because i'm fond of it (laughs) but also because that was my attempt at somehow connecting to the actual topic (gasps) a segue (laughs) it was a very interesting segue yeah Uh, because today we were talking about the public universal friend yes which is one of these things that's They've become very popular on the internet, if you are on on gay internet, yes, as it were. Actually, yes, last night I was running a program and our, where I work, the lanyards they give us are rainbow. Awesome. And I mean, we are a very queer affirming place, but I don't think that's why they picked a rainbow lanyard. Mm -hmm. I think they just thought it was pretty. Mm -hmm. So I'm wearing this lanyard and these, this was like a painting class for adults. And this older woman walks in. She's very nice, or whatever. And she looks and she goes, "Are you gay?" <laughs> <laughs> and that day, I was I was definitely dressed more masculinely, mm-hmm. so I was a little taken aback. <laughs> also, when people, this 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 place is in rural New Jersey, so when people just are like, "Are you gay?" I'm like, "Are uh, you taking a poll?" Like, <laughs> uh,
0: and so are you collecting I collecting
1: names. Yeah, what was are like what's you? happening what here? Uh, so I said yes? And she goes, I wondered because of the lanyard. And I was like, oh, I mean, I am gay. The lanyard has nothing to do with it. Um, and then she wanted to tell me about how she saw a a welcome mat at Ikea with a rainbow on it. And mm-hmm. she is, saw this thing and decided that any gay person she saw, she needed to tell them about this product so that they could purchase from Ikea with a oh. rainbow on it. Which is very sweet and also hilarious.
0: It is very <laughs> sweet and hilarious. That's how kind of her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's as if we didn't know where to get the rainbows.
1: I, They're very everywhere. Rainbows. We
0: have lots of them. Well, now the corporate pride right. is out here. Yeah. Rainbows are very easy to get.
1: Very much so. Um,
0: but, but I'm glad she had our best interests at heart.
1: Yes. the So gay internet has been very excited about the public universal friend for a variety of reasons that we're going to talk about. But they tend to talk about them in a... Not actually the things they did and more about who they were, which is interesting. Mm. But I want to talk about both. Mm. So before I start, I want to take a note about pronouns and how we talk about queer people in history. The way we think about gender and sexuality and sex and all of those things has changed innumerable ways over the course of history depending on what region you were in of the world. I mean people are very fond of saying there's five genders in the Talmud. Hi, future Fega doing editing here. It's actually eight genders in the Talmud. Don't send me emails. I know I was wrong. I never met a number I liked. Okay, bye. Other people say that it's actually five sexes and it's about intersex people. I'm not a Talmudic scholar and but it's just an example of how things have have not always been the sort of just male-female dichotomy. Mm -hmm. Although, to be fair, those genders in the Talmud are all about how those not-male-female people interact with a law that is in that dichotomy, but Mm -hmm. neither here nor there. Mm -hmm. But as a result, the language that people use to describe themselves changes over time. Mm -hmm. And depending on the level of safety those people had, they speak more or less about their queerness and it can be very hard for us as historians to say for sure. So an example of this would be someone like Baron von Steuben who is very famous for having basically made the American Revolutionary Army at all functional and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people who say he was gay and I personally think he probably was Mm -hmm. but he never said he was. Yeah. And that's not to say that we can't say, yeah, he was probably gay, but we need to be careful because we don't want to ascribe identities onto people who cannot speak for themselves. Definitely. So there is a way we can talk about historical queerness without just saying, oh, yeah, so and so was X. Yeah. Because these things change over time. And sometimes they are really just roommates. And. I get people upset with me and I always like to say I'm I am a gay person who loves finding <laughs> hidden gay people mm-hmm. in history like mm-hmm. I love it and we need to be respectful of how they talked about themselves in their own time and yeah. recognize that the way we see things now are not always the way people saw things then. Yeah. So this takes us to pronouns I'm going to use <laughs> the public universal friend didn't really say much about what pronouns they wanted they tended to avoid pronouns when they talked about themselves and all of their followers used he pronouns so in my notes i mostly used he i will probably slip up and say they but i honestly don't don't think public universal friend would have minded but i don't know so i might i'm gonna try all right with the he and the none but we'll see what happens all right so i i wrote this (sighs) whole. I wrote this whole litany here. I didn't realize I wrote it down. I'm, ah. just, I'm just ready to go all on right this, like historical gay people thing like yes because, uh, I you I, are
0: you have you have the you have the elevator pitch down i I do and I definitely I would have more to comment, but I think we should get into it. yes <laughs> uh, this is a whole whole podcast
1: so public universal friend is sort of an exception to this because public universal friend was very open about who he was all right so I think that's part of why people like him so much yeah. um, because we can just say yeah, that person was definitely some version of trans
0: uh-huh.
1: and people ascribe non-binariness to publicly religious friend that that makes sense with the language we use now right. um, and I don't disagree with that but when asked if he were a man or a woman, he said, "I am that I am cool. So, what does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> His followers use he, him, public universal friend, very awkwardly just avoided pronouns entirely. Uh, you nice. know, We're, we're, out, here, we're all out here doing our best. For sure. So, public universal friend, their dead name was Jemima Wilkinson. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the last time I'm going to use that name. When you read about public universal friend, they tend to bounce back and forth between those names mm-hmm. because a lot of detractors referred to him using his dead name I'm gonna try not to do that yeah so he was born and raised as a woman on November 29th 1752 in Cumberland Rhode Island okay and we don't know that much about his life before he became the public universal
0: friend is this 1752 yeah what did I say I know Was that is that was that what you said I'm just making sure I, that's I what hope- you said
1: I hope that's what I said. Yeah. That's right. All right. Cool. <laughs> all right. Great. It wouldn't be the first time I just say in a completely different thing <laughs> than what my brain is trying to do. For sure. For sure. Do. No, um, I, yeah.
0: I, I completely relate. Can talk to my wife Mazal
1: all about that sometimes. <laughs> I, I just, my brain will be one place and my mouth is somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, public universal friend, born 1752 in Cumberland, Rhode Island. He was raised in the Society of Friends, which is the official term for the Quakers. All right. Quakerism is something that I always took for granted that people just knew what it was until I became a tour guide in Philadelphia and found out that people don't. It's just I grew up in this region and there's yeah. a lot of Quakers around. Yeah. The super, super like nutshell version of Quakerism, this is incredibly nutshell, <laughs> is that Quakers believe that every person has a spark of the divine inside of them. And what that means is that everyone is equal. And so that is regardless of gender, race, etc. It also means that they don't necessarily have a like a priest or somebody speaking at their weekly meetings. So they don't call it church. They call it meeting. And they just all sit in the room quietly until someone is moved to speak. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to go into like that doesn't mean there aren't any Quaker speakers. That's going to come up in this but that is the sort of default
0: yes did you uh have you ever gone to quaker service yes i have
1: yeah i was quite young so i was mostly bored i listen
0: the quakers we 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 tend to speak about them very this is not pertained to public friend public universal friend this pertained to quakers in general i feel like we speak about quakers in a very romantic way sometimes I feel like people do. Oh, I do. Um, and I know, because even though it's, I know Quakers, it's a very romantic <laughs> ideal. I, but to be clear, I love, I love, <laughs> I love Quakers. I love the history. It's fascinating. I went to a Quaker school. I've been to Quaker meetings. My little sister went to a Quaker school for a while. And, wow. Oh, what, did they? Did they have meetings? I think so. It's fascinating because it's like I have a lot of feelings about it. Because it's like not everybody can go to the meetings. 'Cause like like can like it's not like a thing for everybody. Like I thought I was gonna become a Quaker, then I went to the meetings and I was like, Ooh, this is a lot of quiet.
1: It's a lot of quiet. <laughs> it's a lot of quiet. Until well, I, I used to, I just remember growing up hearing people kind of being like oh that meeting yeah they can't stop talking or like mm-hmm. that meeting they don't you know and it's you know people are people
0: it's fascinating <laughs> no, and you grew up with it and you get I'm sure people that grew up with it are much more used to it I was like this is so this is so quiet and so then I didn't become a Quaker yeah I mean when I <laughs> the one time I went I was 13 so it was a challenge yeah I was um, dead set on becoming a Quaker until I mean, going to college and then starting to go to Quaker meetings and then being like you know not for me but yeah. anyway very interesting because it definitely leads people to kind of, like, be much more free-thinking um, yes, back and then, it, it, you know.
1: It also, especially at this time, since this is more recent to the development of, of Quakerism in England, there's this, you know, very stringent pacifism and things like that. So it's really to the logical conclusion of that idea of the spark of the divine. Mm -hmm. So that's what Public Universal Friend grew up in. He was also very aware of the New Light Baptists, which was a new religious movement at the time that grew out of the First Great Awakening. So Mm -hmm. it was much more what we would now call evangelical. So it's a lot like sort of the tent meeting and things like that. In a lot of ways, very, I would imagine, very not that similar to the Quakers. Yes. In philosophy, I believe they're, they're... they weren't that far off from each other but the way they enacted that was different. Interesting. So this was a really tumultuous time to be growing up. Yeah. You know so he he was born in 1752 so by the time he's becoming an adult the Revolutionary War is happening. Mm. And Quakers around the country are struggling Mm. with the Revolutionary War because like if you're a strict pacifist. What are you supposed to do? Because mm. people would accuse Quakers of being loyalists. And it's mm. not that they were loyal. The Quakers, there was no love lost between the British monarchy and the Quakers. Yeah, The Quakers were very, very harshly persecuted Yeah, in, in England. But they were really stringent pacifists. And you could get in a lot of trouble for even engaging with boycotts. Mm. That said, to give you an idea of where Public Universal Friend's family was, his brothers did fight in the Revolutionary War. Mm-hmm. And because people were going off and fighting and kind of bending the rules for this Revolutionary War, there was a backlash in a lot of Quaker meetings of becoming much more stringent. Yeah. Also, at this time, Public Universal Friend is reaching an age where marriage was probably on the horizon. Mm. Also, in February 1776, he was disciplined by his meeting because he was attending New Light Baptist meetings. Hmm. And so he was quote unquote disowned (gasps) in September 1776. So he was disciplined in February 1776 and then disowned in September which is also called being read out of meeting depending on which meeting you're at.
0: Oh no. In
1: October of that same year public universal friend fell ill with an unknown illness. We think it was probably typhus. Which, frankly, when I read these historical accounts, I'm like, you know, from this era, it's like everything was typhus. Like, it's always <laughs> like, you don't typhus. know what it was? It's probably typhus. Gosh. It's like it's later on, this... it's like, you don't know what it was? It's probably tuberculosis. Yep. Ah, here we go again with the typhus. I the typhus. Yep. He's got the typhus. <laughs> so he was bedridden and near death. And to the extent that, like, they called for the doctor and it was, like, trying to do end of life stuff, like, they were really sure that he was dying but then the fever broke Mm -hmm. and he rose from his bed this is the story he rose from his bed all right and said that Jemima Wilkinson had died and Uh gone to heaven and her body was reanimated by God as the public universal friend to preach his word wow okay and um, I always public universal friend was just this sort of bizarre term Mm -hmm. that he came up with on Mm -hmm. his own In the tradition of, I I love, I've worked with a lot of young non-binary kids, and I love the names that they decide on for themselves. Uh Like, there was, like, I've known kids who went by, like, Sock. Yeah. And things like that, and I just, and and Glow Worm. Like, I love it. I love it so much. And I also then looked at Public Universal Friend and said, see, We've always been doing this, yeah. not binary people. It's not anything new. Yeah. Uh, but it actually did mean something. It was a term for traveling Quaker preachers. So these are people who travel around. Okay. And speak to Quaker meetings. Yeah. So it wasn't a completely random thing, but it was a title mm-hmm. that he just took on as his only name. All right. Uh, so he begins, be, begins mm-hmm. uh, he began tr- preaching around New England both outside and at churches when they allowed him to speak at churches. Mm-hmm. And his sermons were rambling, but in a way that was really typical for Quakers at the time. Mm-hmm. So Quaker sermons were meant to be sort of off the cuff, not planned. And they were, so, so they were meant to be sort of not as like researched and mm-hmm. put together as you would have seen in a mainline Protestant church. Interesting. So people who are expecting that thought he was a very good speaker. Mm-hmm. And people who were coming from other traditions would be like, what is he doing? Yeah, His beliefs were mostly in line with the Society of Friends, um, mm-hmm. that everyone has access to the divine, both men and women, all races, etc. Also pro-emancipation and encourage manumission. So manumission is our fancy SAT word mm-hmm. for when the, the legal process of freeing a formerly enslaved person. Got it. He believed in free will, that all people can achieve salvation, and they do that by living a life without sin and following Him. It's a pretty oh okay.
0: <laughs> I've little too soon. First, at first I was like, all right, pretty uh, pretty cool for the time. Then you hit, then we hit the
1: yeah. Um, unfortunately, and <laughs> you only have one
0: option. Like just because they're queer doesn't mean <laughs> they're
1: not oh, a cult leader. Queer. Um, I love, I, <laughs> do you ever watch
0: Trixie and Katya? I have not. They, you know, they like they rate some. Well, they do a lot of stuff, but they rate shows. Like it's called Trixie and Katya. I like to watch. I don't like Netflix, but I like Trixie and Katya, and it's fun because they read all the shows, and they are like one of my favorite like talking points that Trixie has is that like gay people can be bad, too. Like, yes. gay people are mean. Like, we're not nice. Like, stop frequently. trying to say that we're not. We're very frequently mean. Gay people can also can be all types. Have you seen all? I don't know. You've probably seen the last couple of days. I haven't actually watched the video, but it's like the person who's like, I'm a trans woman and I'm a conservative. And I like, have not. Oh my gosh! And that's a whole p- bit of the video I've seen because everybody's just stitching it, and now people like are just downloading the video and stitching it, hand stitching it because like they want to promote this person. But anyway, I'm interested. I want to go and find the original video because like, I'm fascinated to hear the rest. But everybody, it's been, it's been funny. Um, yeah. Well, and
1: this is this is the the thing. There's there's an episode of Star Trek: Strange New Worlds that the villain is trans, like the uh-huh. actor is trans, and the villain is trans, uh-huh. and the that has nothing to do with anything in the plot it just is it just is Um, yeah and i thought that was really like just shows that we are in the right direction yeah that we can do that yeah but at any rate so the whole all people can achieve salvation was actually kind of a big deal yeah that's uh, that's a big deal yeah um, because where he was up in new england there were a lot of puritans who came from the calvinist tradition which believes in predestination so this idea (sighs) that everyone the moment you're born It's already decided if you are going to heaven or hell. And he said, no, actually, anybody can go to heaven, but you have to do these, you have to live a sin-free life Mm. and follow the public universal friend. Still pretty stringent. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And so when people asked him what his religious role was, he called himself the comforter. Okay. Which it comes from, I think, a, a quote from somewhere in the new testament it's this a jesus is, thing yeah raised up by god to give comfort to his people yeah rather than claiming to be jesus yeah. himself, of which he would be accused of at various points this is going to come up again oh so oh, the other part of it is this was a i forgot to say this from the beginning this was a little bit of a doomsday cult um, I know I'm sitting here throwing cults around when I was so careful about it a couple of episodes ago. Well, you
0: know we talked about it then. You know,
1: <laughs> we we covered it. We you know. I guess I
0: feel a little more
1: free with it because it's like my people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's also like at a certain point, you know, cults a cult, and it's good to. Or it's a,
1: a high control group. It's a high control group.
0: Um, they could leave whenever they want.
1: But <laughs> Tuesday. The end of the world is coming very soon. Got it. And you had better get yourself sorted because end of the world's coming. Okay. Americans at the time saw the millennium as which, uh, which is the, you know, the thousand years of Jesus's rule in Christian thought mm. as a time of plenty brought in by the work of humanity after mm. which Jesus appears. So this is very familiar to us as Jewish people, this idea of the time of the Mashiach. So this time when the Messiah is going to come and everything's going to be peachy and great. Um, yeah. But there was a, a, a different, um, different, like, so most Americans believed that, like, we have to work at making the world a better place so that Jesus will come and we'll have this, this time of the millennium. Okay. The public universal friend, on the other hand, <laughs> said that Jesus would come as a part of a number of cataclysmic events. Which is a much darker vision of the future and actually much more common today
0: like, huh. if you see like
1: the sort of the left behind series and so forth that is the same
0: what's the left behind series
1: oh my gosh this is this is a I uh, I think an age difference between us this is a, a book series that was very popular when I was in like high school amongst evangelical Christians and uh-huh. I have not read it <laughs> but oh my gosh uh, is it like wait, it begins so it it, it it's it's a book series that is supposed to be about the end days. And so the first thing that happens in the book, as I understand it, is a bunch of people just disappear. And their clothes are just like laid out where they were. And those are all the people that like were raptured. That like oh my went goodness. to heaven. And then everybody else is left behind. And they have to like deal with
0: what's coming. That's um, uh, it's dark stuff. It's very dark. Yeah.
1: I actually watched a YouTube creator who grew up evangelical was reading parts of like a left behind for teens
0: book that
1: she read as a kid oh my gosh Um, Ah. and it was it was interesting to to hear her talk about that and and hear it because i never would have read it myself yeah yeah so that that's that's where public universal friend landed on those things he also had some supernatural claims to himself early on he claimed to do faith healing Mm -hmm. which is the when somebody just like you know prays over you and you're healed Um, we see this a lot at mega churches and oftentimes is fake I'm just gonna say it a lot of times it's faked it's you know you have somebody in a wheelchair who's not actually disabled and they become cured and they can walk and you know sort of thing
0: yeah Um, so yeah plenty to say about the mat like healing magic and all of that around the world I have less to say Less good things, fewer good things to say about laying out of hands in the in the Pentecostal scenario. Yes. Yeah, so, public universal <laughs> friends started off doing that, mm. but
1: then people would not actually get better. So he would say, "Oh well, they just don't believe in me enough." Yeah. Um, see, that that's where it gets toxic. Yes. But he he stopped doing them. <laughs> okay. But he always did prophecy. Both of large cosmic events and those of individual people. To the extent that actually some of his detractors accused him of what's called hot reading. Uh-huh. So cold reading is the thing you see with like these people who claim to talk to dead people. Mm. And are like, I'm getting an impression of the letter B. B, Bob, Bobby, uh-huh. you know, and... Boylan and and then mm-hmm. someone goes my uncle's name Boylan and yeah. you know that sort of thing yeah. um that's cold reading yeah hot reading is when you get information about somebody ahead of time and then use it so some of those same sort of people will like search the people who bought tickets on social media and things like that mm-hmm. so people accuse public universal friend of hot reading mm-hmm. the other another part of his beliefs celibacy oh. that that was <laughs> the ultimate I know p- Downer. These 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 uh these <laughs> these various uh, new religious groups are really into celibacy. Celibacy was the goal, but not necessarily like the universal. So okay, the idea is if you got married, it's not that you could never have sex, but you could not have sex for lustful purposes.
0: But that's the whatever fun that means. yeah.
1: <laughs> and as a result, there is much low. There, we do see much lower birth rates amongst public universal friends followers. Mm-hmm. It's not that surprising. Yep. And there's some indication that he needed to approve all marriages. There's no like re- there's we're going to get into this. All okay. of the information we have about Public Universal Friend comes from either his detractors or his supporters. Okay. Not a lot of in between. Mm. So everything has to be taken with a grain of salt. Just a different grain of salt. Yeah. So his detractors claimed that He insisted on approving all marriages. We don't know. Maybe. It's plausible based on the stories that exist. All right. Actually, the other weird thing that we have as a source is people's dream journals. So it was, like, in vogue, not just for followers of Public Universal Friend, but also for, like, Quakers and New Light Baptists and so forth to keep dream journals because there was this idea that, like, you could – learn more about yourself and your you know what god has in store for you from your dreams and so they would wake up and write in their dream journal so we'd have like no information about like how things actually ran but we know what people were dreaming about it's really that's fascinating fascinating. yeah I need to get my hands on those Um, wow they just made reference to it in the book I read and it was it was fascinating whoa
0: that's yeah. so cool. Because <laughs> we don't get that very often in yeah. history is what people were dreaming about. And it's a really fun way of looking at things. Well,
1: based on these ones we have, apparently they're dreaming about public universal friend a lot. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Also, a part of their beliefs, women answered to God, not their husbands. This right. was also really new idea. Yeah. So some people would leave their families then to follow a public universal friend because wow. the idea is if a woman answers to God, not her family, if she wants to follow the public universal friend, and her husband says no, the correct thing to do is to leave your husband. Yeah. Huh. However, also whole families would join. Okay. But this whole, all of this, so all of this is a package, really puts society's notion of gender and class in question, and mm. anytime time that happens, people get upset. <laughs> So the Revolutionary War had already upended the concept of gender by creating this idea of a Republican mother. And that's, you know, Republican with a little r. Yeah. And that's because, you know, the men went off to war and the women were left with even more responsibilities than they already had. Mm. And, I mean, the same thing we saw after World War II. I mean, it just, it it changes the dynamic of the home and the workplace and so forth. And also, there was this big fear about America becoming a classless society so people were really sensitive to like what you were wearing and what that said about you Mm. and Quakers got the brunt of this a lot because Quakers always dressed well we're supposed to always dress plain Mm -hmm. plain being plain with a big P this idea of not drawing attention to yourself through a lot of like decoration yeah Protestant stuff yeah (laughs) yeah so, these are both things that were what like Universal Friend was doing. And they were very upsetting to yeah. people who had the power at the time. And also, the Declaration of Independence was saying everybody was equal. Mm. And here's this barely educated person that his detractor, detractor saw as a woman from the backwoods of Rhode Island claiming to be a, a prophet. Mm-hmm. If you're an upper class man, you don't want this to catch on. Yeah, this is this is bad news for those people. Mm-hmm. And to make it even worse, public universal friend dressed in a gender and class ambiguous manner. Mm-hmm. So generally, he wore his hair loose around his shoulders, which women did not do at that time. Uh-huh. It was a very like masculine thing to do. Yeah, he wore a wide brimmed beaver hat, which was common among Quaker men. So think of Quaker Oats. Okay, um, what he's wearing—that's that's what I'm talking about. He wore loose clerical robes that did not show his body shape. He uh-huh. wore a cravat, which okay. is a uh, like a a floofy bow tie. <laughs> yeah, uh huh. <laughs> and he did dry, dress in a variety of colors. Wow. So I know I always had this mental image of him always wearing black and grays yeah. and stuff. But he would, like wore purple and stuff. Like wow. he 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 wore whatever. Interesting. Color. And some of the female followers dressed in the same manner Whoa. as him, which. Again, if you are an upper-class man, you're like, yikes, no, please don't do this. Yeah. And they were described in traditionally masculine ways by detractors. Um, and men in the movement were portrayed as emotional and other traditionally feminine traits. So when I talk about masculine traits and feminine traits, these were like things that, we have these now, too, where we have certain words that people tend to use when they're talking about men and words that they tend to use when they're talking about women. This existed then too. It looked different than now. It was a lot of words like decisive would be like a very masculine term. Right. And indecisive was very feminine. Interesting. That sort of thing. Uh-huh. So when Men you, take action. Yeah. So yeah. when you read about the followers, the it's all flipped. Mm. And this is, I, I thought about this a lot when I was reading up for this. Because there's, I have two questions. One, obviously, the detractors are probably to an extent just trying to like, be like, this person is scary. Mm. Right? Like they're writing for like a newspaper or something and they want to warn people off from Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. because it's, you know, going to take down society or whatever. Mm. But that said, gay people, and I mean that in the big sort of umbrella sense, Mm -hmm. we tend to hang out together like we tend to find each other yeah so i can't help but wonder if there were some very masculine women and feminine men in that group yeah unfortunately we can't really tell yeah one of the most important people in this group besides obviously the public universal friend was sarah richards Hmm. And she was really the right hand person, a public universal friend. She would dress in the way the public universal friend dressed. She was very, she was the one who handled a lot of his like finances and Mm -hmm, things like that. mm -hmm. All the worldly matters that he didn't want to be a part of. Mm. And like I said, the powers that be really freaked out by this. And the press in Philadelphia especially was where we can see a lot of that criticism. They were not kind. They were oh, constantly man. attacking the public universal friend, huh. accusing him of being a con artist and just taking from his followers through tricks, like like the previously mentioned hot reading.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Also accused of being involved with murder. Oh, <laughs> this no. This is a wild story. Oh, no. So Sarah Wilson is a follower who claimed very publicly to the press to have survived a murder attempt by a fellow follower named Abigail Dayton. So what Sarah said was that She was having a conversation with other followers about supernatural phenomena. And she was saying that they could be explained away by other means. This is a woman after my own heart. Uh Uh-huh. I love poking holes in supernatural things. Oh, Um, yeah. It it just makes it all the more fun when you can't. (laughs) Um, (laughs) For sure. But she expressed that. And according to her, Abigail Dayton responded and said, take care what i said against them for a very for very strange things happened to people who had talked against the friend that sudden deaths had happened to some and great misfortunes to others
0: oh no Which
1: and sarah th- there's a whole blow by blow that i'm <laughs> not going to go into but sure. people used to sleep all in the same bed at the time because beds were you know mm-hmm. a hot commodity mm-hmm. so sarah was in the same room same bed whatever as abigail dayton and there's this whole like Abigail go, walks around the bed and looks at Sarah and then, like, goes into another room to get something and comes back. And it, there's, it's a whole, like, then she did this, then she did this. Okay. But Sarah said that when she saw Dayton sneaking around, uh, she switched places in bed with somebody else. hmm And she fell asleep. Which I'm like, if you're really that worried, we're going to fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> she fell asleep. And she was awoken to Dayton strangling the woman who was in her former spot. Oh, no. And here's the thing, though, is this murder, well, this murder attempt, if it happened, happened in a room with a bunch of other people in it. Yeah. And nobody else came forward to corroborate either story. Interesting. Now, is that because it didn't happen? Or is it because the public universal friend had such a hold on people's behavior again who's to say who's to say not me not me It also could she could have dreamed it like she could have genuinely believed it um, yeah. and just dreamed it that Sarah Richards again the right hand person of the public universal friend claimed that the murder was actually the devil pretending to be Abigail Dayton so okay take that possession as you will <laughs> no stuff? not in possession okay like, like taking the form of Abigail. oh Dayton. okay all right yeah the press made a lot of hate with this, as you might imagine. Uh, yeah. And public, univers- public Universal Friend finally was like, I'm done. Yeah. I'm done with all this. I I can't deal with the naysayers. <laughs> I mm. just, you know, he was like doing things like sneaking in and out of Philadelphia so that like mobs of people wouldn't yell at him. Like mm. it was intense. Yeah. So he decided that he was going to just form his own town in central New York. Oh. Of just his followers. Yeah. And this was actually really interesting for me because the the book I read, which I should say what it is when we put it out of my bag. <laughs> yeah, I'm interested. I brought I'll it like out. I wouldn't do anything with it. Yeah. Um, it's called The Public Universal Friend Jemima Wilkinson and Religious Enthusiasm in Revolutionary America by Paul B. Moyer. Okay. I don't love how he handles the pronouns. He basically changes between he and she depending on what perspective he's writing from, which is confusing. Yeah. And...
0: Yeah, I don't love it. But Confusing and like has a dead name on the cover and stuff. Yeah, I don't yeah. love that either. No.
1: Um, but his analysis is excellent. Cool. And he did a lot of really intense research into things like those dream journals. Yeah. And this next part, which I got to a point where I was like, I'm just going to have to accept that I'm not going to 100% understand this. So That's,
0: sometimes we have to say that to ourselves. I, I know that I've had that feeling very recently.
1: Yeah. So he, public universal friend wanted to get land in central New York Mm -hmm. and this was a time when people were making their fortunes or losing fortunes in land speculating. Okay. And this is the kind of thing that I just sort of like learned like oh yeah so-and-so was super rich and then they lost all their money land speculating. I never really looked into what that Uh actually meant. (laughs) Yeah. And this book went into it deep. Um, (laughs) So because it's important. Uh Uh-huh. It was very complicated. To get land, there was a lot of legal gray area between Massachusetts and New York because, as they did a land grab from—forgive me if this is wrong—how to know Confederacy, okay. which I was taught were the Iroquois, but that is a that is an English word. I'll put on them. Oh, so they were grabbing land from them and they leased it from them for 999 years. Okay. And of course, all there's so much history of like. The sort of tricks that white people did to mislead indigenous people who to be clear were not like unaware of the law and things like that when i say tricks i mean like just lying yes yeah (laughs) yeah because i know when you say tricks it's like it sounds like oh they couldn't help no i don't mean that i mean like they were lied to
0: they were just lied to yeah
1: 'Cause they'd say, Oh, so do you mean it like this? And the white people would be like, Yeah and they yeah. would not
0: just straight. Um, I mean, like people just and then like, you know, people will even if they had a treaty, they'll they just break it.
1: Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. So this is all all wrapped up in public universal friend trying to get land. And like I said, there was this there's this legal gray area between the states of Massachusetts and New York. So Public Universal Friend's followers bought land and then after they purchased it, the line between massachusetts and new york moved because someone had messed up where the line was like <laughs> oops someone went to like measure and they got it wrong oh my gosh so they lost they lost their land that wow. way money was how the where the money came from was from investors from the following from the society's members with the idea that the larger the investment the larger the property they would get mm-hmm. so when they lost a huge amount of their land because of this disagreement over where the border was. That was a lot. Um, yeah. That meant people were going to get very little. So William Potter and Thomas Hathaway. Those are going to be important characters. Okay, They handled most of the dealings after the first attempts went poorly. They took over basically. They were like listen you messed this up. We're going to do this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they were successful in getting more land but then they distributed it unfairly giving much of it to themselves and none to the smaller investors mm. who had been promised to have at least enough land to survive. So the idea is mm. that if you that everyone would have enough to do subsistence farming mm-hmm. and they didn't do that. Got it. And the first town was called City Hill. So a Public Universal Friend shows up and is mad mm-hmm. that people were left without land. And he decided eventually to create his own new smaller community called Jerusalem Uh that was pretty much just consisted of people who had been like tricked by William Potter and Thomas Hathaway. Uh Uh And so as you might imagine, those are people very loyal to public universal friends. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because he just gave them land because you know. yeah honestly it was the right thing to do yeah. but and they called themselves a the sisterhood it was almost entirely women who were the head of their households which could mean a lot of different things that could yeah. mean that they were a, a single mother with children it could mm-hmm. mean they were alone like that they were single it could mean mm. that they are there are men in the house but their men are like boarders, you know mm. things like that but mm-hmm. these were mostly women who were the head of their household and they called themselves a the sisterhood and they oh and the other thing was like so a lot of them were like widowed or never married and they had no intention of changing that fact which mm. was the like boogeyman uh-huh. of the time for sure all this land by the way was in sarah richards name so that oh. public universal family would not become embroiled in worldly matters interesting unfortunately though sarah richards died at age 36 oh which was really tragic. The two of them, Sarah Richards and Public Universal Friend, were incredibly close. Mm. And what so they, did she die of? Was it typhus? I don't, I don't know. We're just going to say typhus. Yeah. Typhus. Probably I don't know. Typhus. I have no idea. Yeah. So Sarah Richards dies at age 36, which is, by the way, that's how old I am. It's scary. Oh, gosh. Oh. And then the lamb passes to Rachel Mallon and Sarah's daughter, Eliza. And Puff continued, Puff. I wrote Puff to, so I didn't have to write Public Universal Friend. <laughs> over and over and puff. i i hate when people call him puff oh no i'm sorry a lot of people do it and there's you are there's nothing morally corrupt with it it just i don't like it yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but i wrote it in my notes because i was lazy for sure bubble universal friend continued to raise eliza after sarah's death so that's mm-hmm. a level of closeness they were they were Got family it around this time also this all this stuff's happening at the same time some of the men in the community started to become unhappy with the public universal friend Mm. they desired land money and power and saw a quote-unquote woman holding so much more property than them as threatening that Mm. now this was not most men in the society to be clear It's easy to get into the story and be like, oh, all the men. No, actually, the vast majority. Specifically
0: toxic ones. Yeah, the vast
1: majority (laughs) of the men in the society were very happy with their circumstances. Yeah. But the people who specifically were awful were William Potter, Uh Thomas Hathaway. Those guys. Yep. Enoch Mallon, who you might recognize has the same last name as Rachel Mallon. Yes. He also married Eliza. Yeah James Parker and there are others but those are the those are the ringleaders of this and they just generally you know people would get annoyed with public universal friend and want to leave and most people like normal people leaving a religion would just do that yeah they would just leave yeah and these guys couldn't do that they needed to bring public universal friend down okay so first they tried to have him arrested for blasphemy Which, this is amazing. So you know all those stories about people trying to assassinate Rasputin (laughs) and how they never could? Uh Uh-huh. It feels a little like that. So the first time they tried to arrest him, they tried to grab him from his horse and he just galloped away. Oh, wow. Ah! Uh, The second time they tried I love this, the second time they tried to arrest him at his home and the Sisterhood, remember them? Oh, yeah. The Sisterhood all attacked them and tore their clothing. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. (laughs) Girls! Yeah! Wow. Um, and the third time they came at the in the dead of night with over thirty men when Public Universal Friend was sick in bed. And wow. that was when they were successful. But wow. like knowing that Public Universal Friend is sick and he still brought thirty people, because you're like, nope, we're not messing <laughs> not up. any chances. So wow. it's actually kind of incredible that Public Universal Friend wasn't brought up on blasphemy charges before this. Yeah. But he was not found guilty because the judges decided that blasphemy was in fact not against the law in the state of New York. Huh. Which makes sense because yeah. this is now, you're now in the era of the Constitution, you have separation of church and state and yeah. so forth. And you um, have free speech, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, these are ideals that didn't always pan out. Yeah. But that, that was what they determined. And in fact, the judge l- allowed the public universal friend to give a sermon in court and the judge commented that he thought the sermon was very good
0: yeah yeah i was thinking like if you're taking public universal friends to court like and they he takes the stand he's gonna be uh he's he sounds like he's very charismatic oh he had to have been yeah absolutely yeah so you know there you go (laughs) <laughs> yeah so that uh,
1: that failed but those those men did not give up yeah so they started going after his his being the public universal friends legal claim to the land hmm. public universal public universal friends did not actually own anything so what this did was they looked really closely at the will of sarah richards and tried to see if the land was actually legally passed to rachel Mallon. At this point, Eliza, who is Sarah Richard's daughter, grew up and had eloped with one of the public universal friend's detractors. Wow. When I say eloped, I mean like full on like secret, went out the window in the day of night kind of thing. Wow. If they could prove that the will was not valid, the land would go to her and therefore legally her husband. (sighs) So there's years and years and years of legal battles and went all the way to the top court in New York. And public universal friend won every single appeal. Wow. And as a result, the public universal friends left a super explicit will. Uh-huh. Um, he even included his dead name to make wow. sure it would be legal. Wow, he had learned his learned his lesson mm. from that, and this really depleted the society's funds because the oh. lawyers like there were various points where there were like settlements offered, and lawyers would say like you should just take this because this is going to be so expensive yeah. to continue to fight. And the public universal friend was like, no, I'm right. Mm. Like, I don't care. We're going to keep fighting. Mm. And and they won in yeah. the end. Yeah. And when they wrote their will, they were like, the public universal friend, the artist formerly known as Jemima Wilkinson, basically, uh. to make sure it was legal. Mm. He left the society's funds to Rachel and Margaret Mallon to take care of any members of the society who needed help. Mm. Nice. Now at this point public universal friend public universal friend is getting a little older and while people still talk about him and are visiting him because he's sort of a curiosity. Yeah. It's actually a very funny story that I didn't write down for some reason. Mm-hmm. Very funny story about a, a aristocrat from Europe coming and being very upset because how dinner at public universal friend's house worked was the public universal friend would go with Rachel Mallon to another room and eat dinner. Uh-huh. And nobody could eat until Public Universal Friend was done. But Whoa. you also couldn't, like, watch the Public Universal Friend eat. Okay. And this aristocrat was like, excuse me, who do you think you are? <laughs> do you yeah. know who I am? Yeah. I'm the Maquis to something something. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's <laughs> that's wild, though.
1: Yeah, so so there's still a, you know, there's still an economy of, of, of charisma. But people... They're not, you know, there are not a lot of kids being born because of the celibacy mm. thing. And yeah. then the kids who are being born are not really that interested in yeah. sticking around with the society. Interesting. Especially because Public Universal Friends not as charismatic anymore. Yeah. He's getting older. Yeah. That very famous picture of him is when he's a little later on in life. Mm. And so he leaves his funds to the Malins to take care of people after his death. And in the end, no spiritual leader stepped up to mm. take his place. So he mm. dies and nobody steps in there's no like uh-huh. for example with with the church of latter-day saints when joseph smith died brigham young stepped up as the spiritual leader got it there was no brigham young right of public universal right, Friends. right right and so the public universal friends society basically became a mutual aid society huh. the Malins would just give money to people who needed it until eventually james brown jr was the last person to take care of the society's finances and he passed away and that was the end of the society of the public universal friend yeah so wow yeah so public universal friend i think has captured the imagination of a lot of queer people because i mean first of all just having somebody who lives so unabashedly themselves in a time when i mean it's never easy but it was super not easy definitely like he could have been brought in for like cross-dressing yeah charges and things like that it was an extremely brave thing to do so while i may disagree with his religious movement mm-hmm. um it was still an incredibly brave thing to do and he gave a lot of power to women yeah to realize that they had power themselves Yeah, and they could do things like dress however they wanted mm-hmm. or not have a husband yeah or leave the husband they had yeah
0: Owning land, all these things. Yeah. Pretty and, cool. Yeah, and also the
1: the what, what it says about class. He wasn't particularly educated. He was from the backwoods of Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. And he still became this prophet without a lot of education. Mm. So this was really revolutionary in yeah. a time where a lot of revolutionary things were happening. And it's also where a lot of the backlash came from because we know... This is, you know, we're going into the Victorian era where gender is very strictly yeah. um, monitored or yeah. whatever that's not the
0: right word. but it's, Yeah, it's very strict, like
1: policed or
0: scrutinized. Yeah, that's the word. Yeah, yeah, this is with, like, I was doing some research on this with eyebrows. Like, they're very, like, every bit, I think, of, like, a woman's appearance is very scrutinized. Right, and yeah. you see
1: this, actually, when people talk about seeing the public universal friends speak. Mm-hmm. They are... It is weird. People will go on and on about how beautiful he is Uh and how he's a very comely interesting person and always use feminine pronouns Uh and Uh descriptions and Mm -hmm. things like that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And You see ones where they're like, you know, if they just wore like (laughs) normal clothes, they'd be so pretty. (laughs) Uh
0: (laughs) Um, Um, Of course.
1: And we see that when it went from being a
0: curiosity to actual power that's when people like lost it yeah they're like oh yeah so like once this person actually holds sway over other people then we can't have that
1: yeah or or it looks like maybe their ideas might permeate the outside society yeah yeah because you know what what's to stop someone from saying you know i think public universal friend is kind of goofy yeah but i'm into this being you know answering only to God not my husband
0: but it's fascinating also how how far seems his charisma took him oh my gosh he rode that wave he rode that wave he rode that wave and that's that's something there's something to say about the power of charisma and I'm I'm of the I'm I'm of the belief and
1: I'm not basing this on very much so grain of salt I think he he was genuine I think he genuinely thought yeah. that he was a prophet, like um, Father Father Divine. Yeah, I think I think he really felt that yeah. he was a prophet. Yeah. I don't think he was trying to trick people. Sure, I think that he also probably used techniques like hot reading. Mm-hmm. There's a story of somebody happened to overhear something, and it got told the public Universal Friend, and it came up later. You know, it's these sort of things. Yeah. Like I don't think that was beneath him. Yeah to consolidate his power yeah but we're still talking about about him in part because (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's still revolutionary yeah that's true we're still we're still talking about this gender stuff we're still talking about who has power in relationships yeah we're still talking about class Mm -hmm. um anybody who tells you that america is a classless society is trying to sell you something
0: (laughs) definitely andy warhol yeah. I I I, ha- I just went into an Andy Warhol deep dive last night. Not really a deep dive because that would be too deep, and I don't really feel like going that deep. Andy Warhol is too big of a a thing. With that, I don't. It makes me very uncomfortable. He is interesting, but I don't even know if I should go into what I even. <laughs> That's the whole other rabbit hole. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, but
1: yeah that's, yeah, that's the public universal. Wow.
0: friend. Wow, I really learned something today. Thank you.
1: Yeah, thank I, you for
0: telling me. I, I, because I've seen pictures and oh, I yeah. did not know what, like, my, what the deal was. My
1: wife gave me a print of the public universal friend for Hanukkah. Oh my gosh, that's and funny. I was just starting to read this
0: book and I was like, Andrew. I don't know if I want to picture him on my wall. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. You know, it could like it's like an interest. It's I would like lean him on the bookshelf or something. Yeah. Well, right now he's being leaned up against books on the mantle,
1: and I haven't bothered to move. There him. you go. Because um, so I tried to lean him up against the wall on the mantle, and my wife was like, "No, it needs to be front and center." Oh my gosh, that's so funny. <laughs> so we'll we'll figure out a spot. And he has is. quite the stare, also. Yes, he does. He definitely looks at you. Well, this so. print that was the artist made is
0: he, he's 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 got a very friendly. Look. Nice. Well, I feel like you know any artist that depicts you know public universal friend today probably is like has a a sort of you know a rosy notion of who he oh, is I'm sure. and probably just sees him as like this lovely person from history which honestly like you know what's the harm in that <laughs> like,
1: yeah i mean i don't have an issue you want to yeah. go run off into the woods and like have your lovely queer commune like eh, whatever do
0: your thing Do you think you know? Like I like like that's the thing is like I'm I um people like to I am some like I don't like I don't if you have like a slightly problematic faith I wouldn't even call him like that problematic right like other than he guess he he just like thought he was a prophet or I don't know I think tried to have a pretty high level of control over the yeah so that's like not cool but also like you know i don't mind anyway i don't know what i'm trying to say it's people people have their faves from history and i'm not trying to ruin anybody's fave
1: yes if um, you are loving and obsessed with public universal friend i think you should keep doing that because even though he definitely was trying to create a high control group
0: he still was still like represents a lot this of queer stuff. person in the 18th century and that is super cool it's super cool and it's interesting to look at, like, the most, the more, I, I've been thinking a lot about, like, really complicated, like, Yayoi, people like Gayoi Kusama right now, who are just, like, these very complicated people. And I've realized that, that, for me, like, the more interesting thing is not so much the the person themselves. Because, like, humans are complicated, and there's only so much we know about somebody's inner life. But what's, what, you, what you can look at really closely is, like, how people react to them. And I feel like what you were saying was like, so it where it's like the most interesting thing about public universal friend is also just like ha- what happens when society, the norms were tampered with. Yeah. In that way. And like how people reacted to it. Um, and it tells us so much.
1: It really does. Yeah. Well, it's time for us to have Shabbos dinner. It is. So- yeah. Yay. <laughs> turn this off. Yeah. Bye. Oh. Thank you so much for listening to D-Listers of History. If you enjoyed yourself, be sure to subscribe and drop us a review on whatever platform you listen on. A huge thank you to April Keys for the use of the song Misfit from her album Mountain View. You can find her on all the various social media platforms. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and sometimes TikTok at D-Listers of History, no hyphens. A huge shout out to the folks supporting us on Patreon. If you want to support us and get access to all sorts of exclusive content, become a patron of this program like Michelle. All of this and more can be found on our website, delistersofhistory.com. Again, no hyphens, just smush it together. Our next episode is going to be coming out March 6th. Our episodes drop on the first and third Mondays of each month. And now for an episode relevant audio drop.
0: Hi, I'm Jody Friend from Public Universal Friend. This is my band's small studio session. Thanks for watching.